Thanks again for being here. I, what, what we're talking about here this evening, and I'm going to be joined by two friends in just a couple minutes, is something that is very, very, very important to me, and I believe should be important to you. I was in middle school when I first discovered that it was happening to me. Now, <laughs> I know that's a, that's a really weird opening line, okay? <laughs> and some of you are like, I think those are my lights on. I'm out of here, you know? Not a biology lesson or an emotion lesson or anything like that here this evening, but we are talking about something that is really, really important. In fact, it had happened to me before I was in middle school, but I just realized it during those sixth, seventh, and eighth grade years. In fact, I remember exactly when I recognized that this was happening to me. I was in Cape Town, South Africa. My parents were missionaries, and so I grew up there, and I was up on the top of a beautiful mountain called Table Mountain with a group of middle school guys and a volunteer guy, male youth worker. It happened to me in high school as well, and then in college, and then in seminary, and then when Meredith and I got married, it happened to us together. It happened when we were going through really great times, you know, kind of the ups, and then it happened when we were struggling, when we were going through fertility treatment, when we were discouraged in life and ministry, when I was being an idiot in our marriage, when her father was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. It was happening to us during that whole time as well. And I started reading through the Old Testament and discovered that it happened in the Old Testament too. In fact, we heard about it this morning. You might not have recognized it, but Abraham and Lot did this. Moses and Joshua. How about Samuel and Saul, Jonathan and David, and then Elijah and Elisha did the same thing. And it's not just an Old Testament thing and not just something that happened in my life or Meredith's life. It's something in the New Testament as well. Jesus and his closest followers did this all the time. In fact, it's what he did with them. Priscilla and Aquila did this with a, na a man named Apollos. And we read about Barnabas doing this with Paul and then Timothy with Epaphras. This thing, it's seen in parents and their kids. In fact, I saw it this morning. I saw it in the hallways. I saw it as people were walking in to this building. I saw it even during communion. What a cool thing. It happens with the single mom and her daughter, with the, with the father who's going fishing with his son or playing catch in the backyard. This happens with the youth leader and his or her small group. It's happening right now in Shine with the teachers and the volunteers and their class of children. It's happening right now in this building. It's happened all over the world since the beginning of time. I've actually seen this happen with missionaries and national pastors and believers in Berlin and in Brazil, in Guatemala and in South Africa. And so this thing has been happening all throughout history, from the Old Testament all the way up through the New Testament and even now. It's happening all over the world. It happens with men and women, teenagers, boys and girls, grandpas, grandmas, and it's happening right now here at Sailorville. It happened in my life from even before I can remember, and my guess is this has happened in your life and maybe is even happening right now. I'm talking about discipleship. I'm talking about someone mentoring you intentionally. I'm talking about intentionally Helping someone to be more like Jesus, or you being on the receiving end of someone intentionally helping you to be more like Jesus. 
Yep, on top of Table Mountain back in middle school that day, I realized that someone was intentionally walking alongside me and some of those other middle school guys to help me grow in my faith, to help me grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. It was actually happening to me before that, and it's happened to me ever since then, ever since I can remember. Even before those middle school days, people have been pouring into me to help me be more like Jesus, and we call that disciple-making or discipleship. There's a passage in the New Testament that talks about this. In fact, there's several. We're going to look at this one primarily this evening, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. It's kind of a foundational passage when it comes to intentionally helping others be more like Jesus. Look at this up on the screens behind me. And what you have heard from me, Paul says, he's the writer, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, that's a really important word there, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I want you to notice really quickly as you look at that verse that there's a progression of four people, four stages in a sense. You've got Paul who's writing this. He's number one. He's writing to Timothy. We'll later find out their relationship a little bit. So Paul, Timothy, and he says, train faithful men, that's the third level, who will train others, right? Other faithful men men and women. So Paul trains Timothy. Timothy is to train others, uh, faithful men, and those faithful men and women are to train others. There's four stages of this helping others be more like Jesus. And so tonight, I just want to briefly unpack that as it relates to the rest of the New Testament and really as it relates to our lives here individually. A little bit of what we do here at Sailorville overall, but then what this looks like in our lives individually, personally. And I want to start off just by saying this is incredibly important for us. You may be sitting there saying, well, why in, why in the world are we talking about this tonight? Why should this be important for our church? I mean, we've got great music. We have outstanding preaching. We've got amazing tech guys in the back. <laughs> That'll ensure my mic doesn't go off for the rest of the night. We've, we've got some incredible things happening even this evening. Pastor mentioned a bunch of uh, churches and, and parachurch organizations that are good friends of ours. God is doing some cool things. But at the heart of all of that has to be making disciples, has to be discipleship. I think, number one, it's our mission. We say often here, we want to be a church that makes more people more like Jesus. I love that. In fact, I love hearing our children say that. I heard teenagers say that this last week when Meredith and I had an opportunity to spend some time with the youth group. I love hearing people say, we want to be a church. I want to be an individual that makes more people more like Jesus. I love that. That is our mission. That's what we do. That has to be what we're known for. Without that, we're nothing, really. I want you to imagine Walmart without low prices, right? Imagine Chick-fil-A with, with, without good chicken sandwiches and without those cows and all the commercials. Imagine, imagine Casey's without amazing pizza, or not. <laughs> if we're not making disciples, if we're not making more people more like Jesus, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. 
That is who we are. That has to define us. And so discipleship has to be at the very heart, the very core, the very soul of who we are and what we do. Without it, we cannot be who God made us to be as a church and I believe as individuals as well. Jesus said some of his last words to his disciples here on this earth in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's the key there. Go. And as you are going, help other people be more like me, Jesus says. Make disciples not just of people around you, but of all nations, baptizing them, this is how we do it, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them, not just teach them knowledge, but teach them to observe or to obey what I've commanded you, Jesus says. And behold, here's the authority, I am with you always to the ends of the age. That's the Great Commission. Without living out, without being a church and individuals that live out the Great Commission, we are dead in the water. Our church will die. Without making disciples who make disciples, we will not be here in 10 years. Or worse, we'll be here, but we'll just be pretending. It'll be fake, right? Because everybody knows that you can come in and sing songs, you can even open up the Bible, you can talk about God, and if you're not Making disciples, it's just going to all fade away. So let's be a church that takes this mission to heart and says we do, in everything we do, want to see more people be more like Jesus. I think secondly, number one, it's our mission. We, we need to do this. We got to do it. Number two, it brings joy. I love this passage, the longer passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. See if you can hear Paul's heart as he talks about the people who he is trying to see, be more like Jesus and his relationship with them. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. It's a great illustration. Verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you, watch this, not only the gospel of God, primarily of most importance, but also our own selves. By the way, the gospel partnered with incarnational relationships, that's amazing. Paul says, we shared our own selves with you because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we may not be a burden to you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Now watch this. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you into his own kingdom and glory. Sorry, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown? Paul says, what's our reward, our treasure? What's the trophy at the end of all this? Boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, this is it. Is it not you? Those men and women that he was writing to, those men and women who he longed to see be more like Jesus, those men and women who he discipled, for you are our glory and joy. Not only is disciple making our mission, it has to be at the core of everything we do, but it is our joy. It's awesome when people become more like Jesus. It's amazing. Not only does God say, this is what you should do, but you get the most joy out of doing this. When someone you've been working with accepts Christ, oh, that's awesome. 
When a new believer lights up when, when he or she's talking about what she's reading in Scripture, what he's reading in the Bible. Man, that's great. That brings joy to our souls. When a marriage in your cell group is restored, that's more people being more like Jesus, and that should, that should just bring all kinds of joy to us. When your group grows and multiplies and, and your co-leaders begin a new group, that brings joy. Oh, man. Not only do we have to do it, but we get to do it, right? And so why not? Well, maybe you're in one of these boats this evening. I've given some of these reasons. Why in the world wouldn't I make disciples? Why wouldn't I focus on seeing more people be more like Jesus in my life and in the lives around me? Well, number one, I don't have time. Maybe you've said that. I just simply don't have time. And maybe you're here this evening and you're saying, dude, I'm here. Isn't that enough, right? I mean, are you asking us to do something else? Well, I want to encourage you. Making disciples isn't necessarily an extra thing to be added on top of what you're doing. It could be. But I want you to start by doing what you're doing, but do it with someone else. Make disciples by doing what you're doing, but do it with someone else. So sit together in a worship service. Most of us are here in the morning. All of us are here this evening. Sit together with someone next week. I love watching our cell groups sit together, close-knit groups of friends. I was in a section this morning during one of our services. I looked around. I know who's in this cell group. There were four or five couples from the same cell group sitting all within just a couple seats of each other. I love that. They're helping, helping each other be more like Jesus. It doesn't take any extra time. They're here anyway. Just sit together. Strike up a conversation in the coffee cove with someone. Have meals together. You have to eat, right? So just invite someone else over to eat with you. Work on house projects together. Come over and work on my house with me. I'd love to have you over. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Do what you're doing, but think about all those things through the grid, through the lens of how can I do this with someone else? How many of you watch college football this week or even the NFL today? Oh, come on. More than that, right? Watch football with somebody. Have them over. Have her over. Just watch the game together or take them to a game. But now listen, some of this does take work. And some of us do need to create margin for mission. We do need to look at our lives and say, I, I don't want to just be okay to say I don't have time to make disciples. If it's that important in my life, I need to make margin to live out the mission. And so we do need to look at our lives and say, how am I spending my life when I should be investing my life? Spending just, you get rid of it and it's gone. Investing, you leave something for others that come behind you. So look at your schedule this upcoming week. Look at your time in the next few weeks. How can you invest your time in the lives of someone else instead of just spending it? Here's another excuse. I don't have anything to offer. I don't have time, and some would say, I don't have anything to offer. You know, you've been created uniquely. That means there's only one you. God has sovereignly put you together the way he has. He's a God who not just created you uniquely, but created you in a loving way. So you do have something to offer. God made you, shaped you, molded you the way he has. He has, he has gifted you. He has created you. He has built you so that you can bring him glory. And how do we do that? Paul said, my joy, my glory comes through you, men and women that I've discipled. I think some of us may be here saying, I, I, 
I'm single. What in the world can I do to help someone else be more like Jesus? Are you single? You've got something to offer, a whole lot to offer. Are you married? You've got something to offer. Do you have kids? You don't have kids? You've got something to offer. Do you have a house? You've got something to offer. Have you experienced blessing in your life? Share that with other people. Have you experienced hurt in your life or trials or struggles? Share those with other people. You have something to offer. That's how God has made us. No one can say, I've got nothing to offer. If you're here this evening and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, then you've got the Holy Spirit and you've got the Word of God. And if that's all you have, oh my goodness, you've, have, you've got something to offer, right? Share that with someone. Someone might be here tonight and say, it's not my responsibility. It's just not my responsibility. I mean, I've got the time, but I don't think it's up to me. Isn't that why we hire pastors? <laughs> no. That's not why we hire pastors. We hire pastors to equip the church for the mission of God, to equip the church to make disciples, not just to be the ones making disciples. It's our mission. We must make disciples. I love the idea that disciple-making is not a call for others to come and hear the gospel, but a command for us to go to others and share the gospel. That's by David Platt. If we, if we relegate disciple-making only to the professionals, to the pastors, then what are the rest of us doing? Go into all the world and make disciples. It's a commission. It's a mission to all of us. As some might be here and, and say, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know enough about the Bible. Let me just say this about this excuse. Discipleship isn't just about knowing more about Jesus. It's about being more like Jesus. And folks, no matter how much you know about the Bible, there's always going to be someone that knows more about the Bible than you. And there's a pretty good chance there's a whole lot of people in our country that know a whole lot more about the Bible than you do, but aren't at all like Jesus. They may have the knowledge, but they don't have the relationship. Discipleship, helping someone else be like Jesus and being like Jesus yourself, isn't just about how much you know about him or about how much you know about the Bible. It's about how much you are like him. You can teach people what you know, but you reproduce who you are, right? Here's another excuse. I've tried before, and it didn't work. I've tried before, and it didn't work. A bunch of years ago in youth ministry, I was coaching soccer um, in one of our public schools, and I came across this guy uh, whose name was Dante. He was a goalie. He actually got cut from the team, but I continued to have a relationship with him. He started coming to youth group. He got to know some of our, some of our students there and uh, struck up a relationship, a friendship with him. We'd go to McDonald's. I'd meet him before school. We'd text back and forth, and he was getting to know some of the other youth workers as well. And then when we left, he kind of fell off the face of the earth. I hadn't heard from him in a long time. And as we got here, I kind of thought, you know, here's a guy that I was trying to disciple. I was trying to build a relationship with him so that he would get to know Jesus and be more like Jesus. And it kind of failed. I, I, I sort of felt like, well, it didn't work. I tried that with him, and it didn't work. Well, this last week, I got a text from Dante. He said, basically, my life is falling apart. Can you call me? And so I called him, and uh, I let him talk for a little bit. And then he said, Jax, what do you think? And I said, Dante, bud, you know what I think. He said, yeah, I do. I said, what am I going to tell you? And he said, you're going to tell me that I need to have a relationship with Jesus, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I am. 
You know, it didn't seem like it was working a couple years ago with Dante, but maybe it was. Maybe God was doing something in his heart and life, and maybe that's exactly what God's doing now. And he's calling back out. He said, Jax, I don't know who else to talk to except for you. Well, I said, I need to connect you with some people that are right there in Pennsylvania that can help you be more like Jesus by starting by having a relationship with him. Meredith came to me a couple weeks ago, and she said, you know, Judah, he's not all that athletic. He's not. So we need to start getting him into some sports and things like that. And I said, yeah, that's, that's a really good idea. What'd you have in mind? And she said, well, gymnastics. And I'm like, whoa, hang on a minute. <laughs> I know he's not all that athletic, but he is a man, you know? <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Story's not over yet. I got videos to show, come on. So she says, okay, there's this thing called tumble class, right? And we can get him involved in that. And I, I thought, well, tumble class, that sounds kind of cool. It's like wrestling without a partner, you know, <laughs> roll around and stuff. So anyway, so, so Judah goes to his first tumble class. Now, he doesn't know what to expect, and he's kind of timid. And um, the very first time he approaches this one exercise, she takes a video, and this is what he does. Doug, show the first one here, would you? Everybody here knows what he's supposed to do, right? Run down to the edge of it and just jump into that pit of foam blocks or whatever it is. Well, he's timid. He gets to the end. He's never seen it before, and he just stops, kind of like his dad on a diving board, right? I told that story. He's afraid. It didn't work the first time. What's he going to do? So he comes home, and I have this guy talk with him. I'm like, buddy, come on. It's tumble class next week. It's not gymnastics. I mean, we're doing man stuff here. It's tumble class. <laughs> So I said, this time when you go to tumble class, buddy, you just got to run down the thing and just dive into it, just like you're diving into your bed, because he does that every night. So the next time he goes to tumble class, Meredith sends me this video. This is the very next week. Yeah! <laughs> hey, listen, it didn't work the first time. And he could have stopped. He could have said, forget it, I'm done. But he didn't. Now, how many of you are at the end of that trampoline as you're thinking about, I could pour into somebody here. I could help somebody, but, you know, I tried that one time, and it didn't work. Or I tried that one time, and it blew up in my face. Or I tried that one time, and eh, it wasn't all that exciting. I want to encourage you. You can do it. You can do it. Get back on that trampoline and try it again. How many of you have seen the cartoon movie Trolls? This is some theology from trolls, right? Get back up again. You can do it, all right? You can do it. This sounds like it's going to take some effort on my part, you might say. It sounds like it's going to be a little bit of work. It sounds like I need some discipline here. Well, since we've quoted this great theologian for the last several weeks, I thought we'd put this up here as well. Discipline leads to delight, right? Yes, it is work. It does take effort, but my goodness, it's our joy. All right, so we know why. We know some of the why nots. Here's how. First of all, show up on Sunday morning. If you want to be discipled, show up on Sunday morning and be discipled by the word and by others. Number two, join in with the cell group. Don't just show up on Sunday mornings, but join in with the cell group. Pastor preached on Hebrews chapter 10 a couple weeks ago. I love that passage. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Don't neglect meeting together. I think that's a smaller group than just this big group, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. 
And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Join in with the community. Join in with the cell group. Be discipled and disciple others. And then number three, commit to being more like Jesus yourself. What did Paul tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16? Keep a close watch on yourself first and on the teaching. Right? Commit to being more like Jesus yourself. Persist in this. For by so doing, you'll save both yourselves and your hearers. And then I want to encourage you to find a Timothy. Find someone to pour into. Find someone that, like Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, right away in his greeting, he says to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. To Timothy, Paul was like a son. Find someone that's younger in the faith that you can pour into. Listen, start with your own family. Husbands, start with your wives. Moms, start with your kids. Please disciple your children. Don't leave that up to our children's ministry staff. Don't leave that up to the Christian school that you send your kids to. We're in favor of all that stuff. But it's your responsibility primarily to train up your children. Identify someone in your cell group that you can pour into. Look for someone who's faithful. Look for someone who's available, who's actually there. And then look for somebody that's hungry or teachable. Find a Timothy. And then, as Paul did, find an Onesiphorus. <laughs> That's not something you need to go to the doctor for, okay? <laughs> in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is refreshed by this guy. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Watch, for he often refreshed me. This is the Apostle Paul talking. This guy refreshed the great Apostle Paul. This guy was helping Paul be more like Jesus. And we see others that did that in the New Testament as well. And he was not ashamed of my chains. Wow, imagine how encouraged Paul must have been to have guys like this around him. So find a Timothy that you can pour into. And then find someone to pour into you. And then I want to encourage you to find some simple tools. To use some simple tools. Tools. Several of you have used the four salvation studies that Chuck has designed and, and that we've used as a church. Really, really effective. I love those. Those deal with the Bible truths about coming to know Jesus, about getting saved, about becoming a follower of Christ. But what happens after that? Well, we've designed something here as a staff, and several of you have been a part of this as well over the last several months, called the 222 Discipleship plan. It's really based off of 2 Timothy 2.2 that we referenced at the beginning. It's all about spiritual conversations between two people trying to be more like Jesus. It's not a curriculum. There's no homework. It doesn't take a ton of time. It's just a set of conversations that are based on our core values that we believe people that are trying to be more like Jesus value. And so if you're interested in a tool like this, this is kind of like the beta version. We've never talked about this before. We're going to send out a link. We'll send it out and put it on our website, and it'll be available to all of you. But I'd love for you to email me, and we can talk about that personally. I'd love for you to begin to work with someone every week, every two weeks, intentionally having conversations with them about how you and they can be more like Jesus in their lives. What does it look like to be generous? What does it look like to live on mission? What does it look like to live a life of worship? What does it look like to grow, to have conversations that will help you and them be more like Jesus? 
It's not easy, but it is simple. How many of us would say, my goodness, in 10 years, I want God to still be blessing this church. I want this church to continue to grow. I want to see more people be more like Jesus from now until eternity, until God chooses to keep us here. We have to pass the baton. We've got to turn around and grab the hands of the people behind us. We can't leave them back there. We have to make more disciples. I'm going to ask Preston Young and Lindsay Holin to come up. They've each got separate stories about how God has worked in their lives and through their lives in this, uh, in this area of making disciples. And I'm going to ask Preston if he'll share first, specifically Preston, about what God's doing at Freedom for Youth and the discipleship emphasis there. Uh, yeah, thank you. I uh, appreciate your, uh, your time this evening and appreciate uh, um, Jason asking me up here. I work for Freedom for Youth Ministries. Um, I wanted to read the, the mission statement because it's really good and it sums it up. So Freedom for Youth Ministries uh, empowers youth across Iowa through the love of Jesus Christ to break bondages, discover their God-given talents, and lead transformed lives. So uh, what I do, I'm the director of programming there, and, and really, you know, our goal is to do discipleship. Um, we, we're a, a ministry that uh, we don't take any government funding or state funding or anything like that. We're supported by churches and individuals, and we can boldly proclaim the gospel. Um, and so there's a lot of different ways we do that. We do after-school after programming. Uh, we base it on the FEEL acronym, which stands for FAITH education, employment, and leadership. Um, and so uh, obviously the faith is the most important there, but we help with tutoring, uh, we help with employment, we have shop classes like wood shop and welding and those kind of things. And you know, those, those are great, but we're teaching kids skills, but really that's just discipleship. Mm. We, want, we want, you know, if you're, you're into wood and, and you like working with wood, uh, you're just gonna work alongside a youth um, and sh share the gospel while you're doing it. So. Um, that, that's the big thing. We also have a coffee shop that opened uh, a few weeks ago, and, yeah. and that's a, uh, <laughs> Pat's been a, a frequent customer. <laughs> He's got his own parking spot. <laughs> uh, so, but, but you know, that's a place where we're, we're employing young people um, that need a second chance. I mean, they're folks who, who need work training, uh, but, but the point is to introduce them to Christian community, kind of get them out of the cycle um, that they've been living in, and then an opportunity to introduce them to what we're calling a life ally, which again is just uh, somebody who, you know, if they're interested in the faith, maybe they've, we've had a young, uh, uh, one young gentleman who gave his life over to Christ. So what happens next? He needs to be discipled. Yeah. Uh, and we just want to be an avenue for that. Uh, we don't want to replace the church. We want to plug people into the church. Um, and that's kind of what our goal is. So. Man, that's cool. How many have been to the coffee shop already? Yeah, cool. Great. Freedom for Youth is doing some really, really amazing things. We love seeing what God is doing through Preston and several others, uh, even some others that are part of our church that are, uh, that are um, on staff and volunteers down there at Freedom for Youth. I love, Preston, what you said. It's all about discipleship. It's all about seeing children and teenagers be more like Jesus, whether it's woodshop or the coffee house or some other employment or some tutoring or whatever. It's yep. all about, for you guys, it's all about seeing them mm -hmm. have a, a growing relationship with Christ. Yep. Amen. Lindsay, tell us a little bit about your discipleship journey. I've got a microphone right here for you. Okay. How long do I have? I need limits. You, you need limits? Um, <laughs> give us the best stuff you got in four minutes. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, I just want to share quickly in a nutshell, as effectively as I can, how uh, one of the most impactful discipleship relationships has uh, affected my life and shaped who I am. Um, when my husband and I were first married, we moved to Memphis 
And um, we, our marriage got off to a rocky start. And um, through the Lord's providence, he brought us to a church where a, uh, a man led a Sunday school, uh, marriage Sunday school class. Uh, we went to that, um, invited into their cell group uh, called Life Groups down there. Um, over the next two years, they poured into us. They just loved on us. They prayed over us. They laughed and cried with us. Um, just made such a huge impact in those first two years, and it was really hard to leave um, as much as we want to get out of Memphis. It was really hard to leave them. Um, over the, the, the last 13 years, the miles, all the circumstances, um, Rhonda and Darren are their names, um, and they're live streaming right now. <laughs> um, they, they're um, just their passionate pursuit of Christ, despite all of their circumstances, um, has just been inspiring to me. Uh, when I met them, they had buried three children, mm. and um, I was seeing the aftermath of that, uh, hearing the testimony and seeing how God used those trials to shape them. And then last August, they lost their 20-year-old daughter unexpectedly and suddenly. And um, the, the verse, weep with those who weep, had never been so real to me. It seems as though God had created this woman to be a mother. And um, now her, she has four children in heaven, one daughter remaining. The last year, I have witnessed them. The, the biggest thing is they have not lost their joy. Their joy is rooted in Christ. Um, they um, continue to worship and praise him in the midst of intense sorrow. And, um, and when I've expressed anger and questioning, Rhonda has said, it, Heather, Heather passed away because we're in a decaying world. Um, and she will tell you that her heart is anchored in heaven and that she's just swinging from the ropes. Mm. Um, she has taught me probably most of all to be teachable um, wisdom can't penetrate an unteachable spirit, and so she has taught me to be teachable in all things. Um, they've taught us that a marriage with Christ as the foundation can't crumble, um, no matter the efforts of the enemy. Um, she's modeled what a sacrificial love of a mother, um, how that impacts um, children and leaves a legacy, and they have quite the legacy that they're leaving, and um, how to turn the most simple things into things that are exquisite and beautiful, and um, mostly how she, how the word of God, she's a woman of the word, and how it has bolstered her, and, and how it um, encourages and heals and lifts us up and um, is the root of our strength. Um, she did this simply by living her life in front of me. We never did a, a, a formal Bible study. Um, she just lived life in front of me, and... Um, we just spent time together, we call, we text, we share recipes, um, you know, just life. And it sounds like, it sounds like she's perfect. She'll be the first person to tell you um, she's not, and Darren will closely say amen right after that. <laughs> um, but she's not afraid to, to let me see her flaws and let everyone see her flaws. And um, even though Darren told me last year that she told him, I need to be careful what I, what I say and do, what I tell Lindsay, because she'll actually do it. <laughs> um, but she just has, an, has inspired me to want to be that for others, for Jeremy and I both to want to be that for um, other couples, broken or not broken. Um, it just, we want to keep passing that on. And um, 
You don't have to have all of the answers to be a mentor. Um, you don't have to have it all together. Oftentimes it's the, the flaws and the mistakes and um, you know, the, the transparency that's most impactful. Sometimes that's more impactful than these great words of wisdom that you have. Um, those are great too, but um, I don't think anybody's looking for superheroes. I think we're mm. just looking um, for someone to relate to to invest in us. It feels really good to be invested in, and it feels good to invest in others. Yeah. There's always a return, and um, sharing God's word never returns to him void, and that should be um, our goal. Um, so God has always been faithful to me in bringing older women into my life and all of our moves. Um, He's doing that here at Sailorville. We have women investing in myself and in my daughters, and um, I'm just thankful for, for each one of them. Um, the, the whole Titus 2 uh, passage has been, been really heavy on my heart for the last several months, mostly because I realized I'm the very age Rhonda was when, I came into, when she came into my life. Um, that could make me an older woman, and I would be delighted to be an older woman hmm. to, to someone. Um, I had been reading a book called Spiritual Mothering by Susan Hunt, and I just want to share this, this quote. And it, it, it's, it's written towards women, but it's really to the, to the church. If ever the world sees a time when Christian women shall come together purely and simply to encourage and equip other women to live for God's glory, it will be a power such as the world has never seen. Hmm. So. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, we're not looking for superheroes. She's looking for someone to invest into our lives. And that's cool. Preston, you're a dad. Tell me um, how you disciple your kids. You're not a superhero, but you are their dad. Yeah, definitely not a superhero. So, um, you know, that's been something that, that actually I can lose the, the point of fatherhood, you know, and I can try to teach the rules and everything, um, but I've really been convicted about actually discipling my kids. Um, I started intentionally just, just this morning, actually, been meeting with my 11-year-old son, Tyler. Um, you know, we call it man time, you know, when we talk and, and um, you know, we'll, we'll crack open the Bible, but, you know, this morning, uh, we really started to get into the Word, and I really want to challenge him uh, because I made it clear at some point I want him to then go and do that with others, um, and, and, and I want to make it clear, this is what we're doing, we're doing discipleship, um, because he's got a younger brother someday as well, um, and so I want to, I want to do that intentionally, um, you know, it's not always perfect, um, but, you know, we're, yeah, we're not superheroes, so I, I try to, you know, show them what the right priorities are, um, and those kind of things, by making an example, so. Yeah, yep. so just, just make, carving out the time to meet with your son, and uh, talk about life and talk about the Bible. Right. Yeah. Yep. yeah. That's a great example. Lindsay, as, as a mom, tell some of our ladies here, maybe they're a single mom. How can they do that with their kids or whoever God's put in their home? Well, um, I think that just being intentional, um, something that I, I purposed in my heart when my oldest daughter was a toddler, as distracting as she was, I... Um, I just remember always seeing my mom in the Word, and that's one of my most precious memories and one of the most impactful memories. And um, as 
it would be much easier to do that before they wake up or when they're in a nap or after they go to bed. I want my daughters to see me in the word mm. and that it to be something that inspires them that as I walk out my faith in front of them, um, they're, they're knowing where that those actions are coming from. Um, I want them to have that un- hunger, even if it's just to copy me in the, in the early years. Um, but to, to just know that, that life is, that our guide in life is the word of God. And um, I want them to have that hunger for mm. it. Yeah. Lindsay said, I want, I want my daughters to copy me in a sense. It is one of the greatest discipling verses in the Bible. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul said, right? That is what discipling is all about. Paul, discipling, Timothy, Timothy, training, pouring into faithful men and women who will do the same for others. So I guess the question here as we leave is, where are you in that cycle? Are you a Paul training a Timothy? Are you a Timothy being discipled by a Paul? Are you one of those faithful men and women, or are you one of those others who are in the cycle of being discipled, being mentored intentionally to be more like Jesus? You need a Paul. You need a Timothy. Who are you? Our time is up this evening. We need to be a church that's making more people more like Jesus. Can you guys stick around for a couple minutes if people have questions up here? All right, great. Let's pray and then we'll go get our kids. Father, thank you for a reminder from your word and from each other here this evening about our mission, about the joy that it is to live out that mission wholeheartedly. Help us to be all in for this, uh, for you and for others. And God, we all have excuses and none of them, not one of them is a good one. I pray that we would put all of that aside and we would say the next generation, the next spiritual generation needs to see the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word and the power of God's people on display in our lives. I pray that that would begin and continue even starting tonight in your name. Amen.